0: Hi, everybody. This is Dominic from 10K. Uh, I don't quite know where Jeremy is going to put this in the episode, but hopefully you're enjoying or will enjoy what comes after this. Thank you for listening. Uh, after the episode had been recorded, the big news of Abu Ladi's return to Minnesota United was announced, and it was a big enough uh, announcement and one I had enough feelings about that just wanted to try and get a quick little recording in to add to the episode. Uh, an episode in which, coincidentally, I, I actually do bring him up one uh, time about the super draft, uh, but uh, of course not in discussion of his return because it hadn't happened yet. So I, I just want to run through a couple quick things because Abu Danari is a player that I think uh, people have a lot of negative ideas about, and uh, they're not unwarranted, but I do think that they're slightly misguided. And uh, you know, I've long uh, defended his drafting as a great move by the team. Uh, which is something that I, I was surprised to find out that not everybody agrees with, and uh, I actually think there's a plenty of positives uh, coming with his return to the side. Even though, again, the reaction has been mixed so far. It's this is being recorded the day of the announcement, and uh, I've seen a, a mixture of reactions, uh, all from you know respectable people. Um, I haven't seen anybody being uh, rude per se or, or uh, mean. But I have seen plenty of people sort of unsure of what to think about this, and maybe a couple of eye-rolly reactions. So I, I just want to run through a couple of things. Obviously, Abu Ladi had a fantastic rookie year with Minnesota United. He had uh, eight goals and two assists from 27 league appearances. was not a consistent starter during that time, uh, also worth noting, uh, but, uh, but did certainly earn uh, several starts through the year uh during that time he uh scored the two goals in our only or, or not our only our first away win of the season which was against the Chicago Fire that was a 2-1 result he uh scored a huge goal uh, his first goal for the team against Kansas City at home in a 2-0 win uh which i think was uh, one of the first sort of big statement wins it was our third win of that season which of course was a very difficult one but it was the first win that felt like a real statement, in, in my opinion, anyways. And I was there, and uh, that's how it felt in, in the stadium, in my opinion. Uh, he would go on to score against uh, uh, Portland, D.C., uh variety of other teams. He had two amazing screamer goals against Atlanta and Montreal, both on the road, actually. Uh, both uh, matches ending in wins for us. Uh, scored at home against Dallas uh, towards the end. Of that match, uh, and and really just had a great year. Uh, made a, a real campaign to win a, a rookie of the year, which he lost out to uh, Julian Russell, if my memory suits me. Which is was you know uh, a, a reasonable result, and uh, Russell had a, a fantastic year, and Atlanta had a fantastic year. So, you know, in retrospect, whether Denardi should have actually won that award or not is is sort of not the point. The point is that he had a really, really good year with us and was a standout player at a time when we had uh, only a few standout players and the team was performing overall quite poorly week to week. So that was followed by two years where his statistics dropped dramatically, which is where most of the complaints or negative feelings come from. Uh, Right away, the real discussion that needs to be had here is... Abu Dinladi's issue with injuries, not his issues with performing. So the, this, the real misunderstanding, I feel like, is people remember that he didn't score as much in the next two years. He scored, a, uh, I believe it was, one goal in 2018 and two goals in the 2019, and there's some assists sprinkled through there. Uh, and most people remember that simply as, oh, he just wasn't as good on the pitch, that's not actually really what happened. Uh, he was injured for most of the time. That's, that's what happened. He wasn't actually playing soccer most of the year. The combined minutes of 2018 and 2019 for Abu Ladi, and this this does include the Open Cup, uh, simply just because th- those were matches with Minnesota United, uh, he actually played less minutes combined in those two years than he did for the team in 2017 by about 100 minutes. Uh, so... You can, I, I find it difficult to measure his ability off of those statistics. I think uh, that's an unfair reflection of what he's capable of. And to a certain degree, you just say the same thing with uh, his time at Nashville. This most recent season with Nashville, I mean, I, he, he essentially barely played at all and actually still managed to score a goal uh, this year. But uh, my point in bringing all of that up is that I think the, the conversation that needs to be had is, what is Minnesota United going to do? to make sure that Abdellati is able to play consistently through this year. Uh, because that is the concern. The concern is that he will get hurt. If they figure a way out around that, um, perhaps helped by the fact that he's going to be you know, 26, going towards 27, kind of at that period where you would imagine he would be peaking physically as a player. If they can figure all that out, figure out a way to keep him healthy... I am extremely optimistic for the impact he can have, uh, most likely as a substitute or a rotation player on this team. We know for a fact that Abu Dinladi is really good at soccer. We we know that there is no question. Uh, the issue is that sometimes he's too hurt to play. So uh, I'm optimistic. To the to the folks that aren't optimistic, I, you know there's a couple things that come to mind. There's the fact that Abu Dinladi despite barely essentially having one healthy year with the team, has more goals than Toy ended up having for the team. He's one goal off of Ibarra, uh, a player that when he left, we all felt was dealt an unfair hand and should have stuck around. So, uh, you know, this is a guy that when he was performing, when he was healthy, was clearly so good. And yes, 2018 wasn't great, 2019 wasn't great. I think we have to remember what this team was in 2018. This was a year that things were so rough offensively that we decided Christian Ramirez wasn't good enough, uh, which is a decision a lot of people have realized was not a great one. Uh, And, uh, you know, 2019 a lot of the reverberations of those decisions offensively were still at play. So uh, I, 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 I think people should reserve a little bit of judgment. I think in the same way that we realized that, Hey, a lot of these other offensive players deserved a second chance and actually did better after they had hard times, uh, with the team. Molino comes to mind as an example, who sort of disappeared, came back, did really well, left, and we all regretted it. Um, I think we need to at least wait and give Abu Dhanadi a chance, a chance to prove, uh, me right. (laughs) And the hesitant people wrong. Uh, I honestly think he can be a really valuable part of the squad, and I'm really excited to have him back. He was one of my uh, my favorites from that first year, so that that's that's my my. Uh, hopefully, this ends up less than ten minutes. This that's my ten minute take on on Abu Ladi joining Minnesota United again, second time. Um, this is a guy that deserves a shot. He's great when he's healthy, and the question is will Adrian Heath do a better job, and of course the staff, do a better job in 2022 and keeping him healthy than they did in 2018 and 2019? If the answer to that is yes, I think this has the uh, potential to be a great move. So, thank you for listening to this, and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode, and enjoy watching Abu Dhabi this coming season.
1: What is up, what's going on, and welcome to another edition of 10,000 Pitches, of podcast about everything Minnesota soccer. My name is Jeremy Rushing, we are of course presented by our friends over at Stimulus Athletic, and as always, joined by my co-host, my partner in crime, Mr. Dominic Jose Bazonio. Dom, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, another uh, busy week of Minnesota soccer news, so looking forward yeah. to talking about it. The hits keep coming in the offseason. It was like nothing, 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 nothing. And then now it's like every episode feels like an in-season episode because we have so much to talk about. Um, On that front, John Pascarella joining us a little bit later on. That name sounds familiar. Former Minnesota United Goalkeepers coach from back in 2018. He is now an assistant at Forward Madison. So we're going to talk to him not only about his time in Minnesota, but obviously his new role with the Mingos. And joining us to do that, kind of like a double guest episode, a little weird, uh, but my co-host on the and Flock podcast from Madison 365, Rob Chapel, will be joining us not only for the interview with John, but he's actually going to be joining us in just a few minutes, actually, to uh, basically break down everything that has happened with Forward Madison from the end of the season on, because it's been a very busy offseason for the Mingos, so who better to help us break it down than Rob? So, He's joining us in a few minutes, but first, uh, we need to talk Minnesota United because this has been a busy week for the Loons. Now, last week's news was a little bit out of date. This week's news might also be out of date by the time you (laughs) listen to this. Who knows? But after we got done recording last week and before the episode aired, former Loon Jan Gregush, who was a topic of conversation in last week's episode, did end up signing with San Jose after being selected in last month's reentry draft. We were speculating on whether or not he would be signed after the uh, after the reentry draft was complete, but he is, so he will be with the Earthquakes for 2022. Um, also, after not being re-signed initially and being, quote-unquote, on the market, uh, center back Brent Coleman is returning to Minnesota. It's a two-year deal for the Woodbury native. And, Dom, this is, I mean, if you're Minnesota United at this point, with the way the roster is looking here on January 11th at the time of recording, you need to grab depth wherever you can get it. And Brent Coleman, you know, people have some personal feelings about Brent Coleman. I do understand that. But what he brings on the field is very, very, um, it's seemingly more crucial now than it's ever been considering the lack of depth that the loons currently have elsewhere.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I do want to note we should even be careful of mentioning that Jan Gregorius is signed for San Jose because now I'm convinced that tomorrow he's going to be traded to Cincinnati for allocation order or something. But you never
1: know, uh, you never know in MLS baby.
0: But uh, yeah, on on the note of, of and, and by the way, I think that's a very interesting sign signing for San Jose, so that'll be interesting. But uh, on yeah. on the note of of Brent Coleman. Yeah, you know, like you said, I I can appreciate that there's some complicated uh, opinions about him, but the fact is that he is good at uh, his role on the pitch, and uh, even in the last in this last season, uh, at a point where I think most people assumed he would more or less be out of the picture, he still came in uh, frequently and performed pretty well, uh, and and so if you need depth in in the bat line, which every team does. Uh, it makes sense to keep him around. Uh, you know he can do it. You know he knows the team. He knows the, the area, so to say. He's familiar with the organization. Uh, obviously, he was on the market. So I, 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 I am not surprised that they figured something out to extend his stay. Uh, but, you know, I, I would probably prefer that he not be a starter. I don't necessarily think that he's the you know, no, quality no. that we need to be looking for for that. But I think everyone's in agreement that uh, what they should be hoping for is to have a really reliable uh, backup with him.
1: Yeah, and he had an excellent year last year, uh, if we're being honest. I mean, he was called upon uh, numerous times in a backup role, spot start situations. I think that's the perfect situation for him, and he's the perfect guy to fill that if you're Minnesota United. I mean, he just he plays that role so well. So, uh, But going back to the Gregor's thing, he actually made me think of something interesting. Um, we've talked about Nashville sort of being Minnesota South now with uh, with uh, Boonberry, Hawkinson, and Eric Miller. Well, you're looking at a potential defensive midfield pairing in San Jose of Jan Gregish and who? Jackson Ewell. Yep. So that is something interesting yep. to look at if you're a, a fan of Minnesota soccer too, what's happening there in, in San Jose. But anyways, we move on to more Minnesota United headlines, former, or excuse me, forward Thomas Williamson has signed with MNUFC 2, according to Andy Grader of the Pioneer Press. Uh, when this episode airs, it'll probably be made official by the team at that time. But as of now, it's only reported by Andy. Um, he was selected by the earthquakes, the aforementioned earthquakes, in the last year's Super Draft. Then was loaned out to Pittsburgh Riverhounds in the USL Championship for the entire season. Finished with six goals and four assists in 26 appearances, only 22 and we talked about uh, the addition of Hongwani last week, Dom. Um, this is another young forward. And we've kind of been beating the drum about on this for a while for Minnesota United. Is they need to look into developing young attacking talent. And it seems like this that's how they're going to be u- utilizing MNUFC2 and this U22 initiative and this MLX Next Pro initiative. I mean, the first two signings are young Attackers with potential, um, so kind of kind of promising there. If you're a Minnesota United fan, because that striking that striker revolving door has been constant since yep. M- since they started MLS in 2017. So you know, really focusing on developing young strikers it could be the way to sort of again stop that door from revolving and sort of maybe get some getting getting get something solidified at the striker position. If you're Minnesota in the long term moving forward.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, a frequent criticism, uh, certainly including this year uh, with a a player that we may have given too much stick in the form of Fernando Adi. Uh, But, uh, you know, frequently Minnesota United, and and there's been other MLS teams that have kind of found themselves in in this situation as well. But certainly in Minnesota in recent years, it's felt like, you know, there's whoever we want to be starting the games up front. And that person is probably anywhere from 26 to 29 um, over the years. Uh, And then whoever is the backup is, you know, 30, Mm. low 30s. Mm. And the the more optimistic thing you would have is have that backup person be uh, a a Mason Toy, for example, who, of course, was with the team for a while or or, or the lobby, I suppose, as well. Uh, A younger person who you're developing, who you're giving minutes so that eventually they will replace that person. And that's simply not what these veteran players are doing because obviously they won't be with the team by the time that other person has left and uh so you know uh, to your point it's it's encouraging to see sort of and, and we'll talk later a little bit but even with the the super draft pick uh today you seeing young forwards sort of surrounding the team in various degrees and we'll see how many uh senior team minutes any of them end up getting over the years but uh, it's certainly a, a good show for for at least trying to set up that development. I do think also that this uh, reported signing uh, of Williamson is is a useful note for us to better understand what rosters, or at least Minnesota's roster in MLS uh, Nets Pro is going to look like, only because I think there was a lot of uncertainty about what these teams would consist of. Uh, I think there were some people who, and I completely appreciate the romance behind it, but who romantically thought that these teams would like just be a bunch of kids from wherever these teams were from. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure there will be local players on all these teams. Um, but you know, that was never the case with the, the MLS two teams in the USL championship. And I didn't expect it necessarily to be the case with the adjusted versions of those that were going to be an MLS next pro. And so, yeah, there's going to be some out of state talent, obviously. Um, that in this case actually appears to be signed specifically to play on the team. Uh, and, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's a, a notable uh, factor for what these teams are going to look like. And and hopefully there are plenty of of local uh, local talents, local youth as well. But, yeah, Williamson looks interesting. He has a little bit of pro experience already, which is obviously encouraging. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy to score six goals and make four assists in, in the USL Championship, so uh, certainly at his age. So yeah, very interested to see what, uh, what he brings to that first season for MNU FC two.
1: Yeah. And that's a good point. Um, this, this, the, the roster for this reserve side, if you want to call it that, or MNU FC two, this MLS next pro side, um, that there, there was a gap. We talked about this at nauseum. There was a gap. We talked about Caden Clark at nauseum. There's a reason why that gap was the reason why Minnesota United wasn't able to, to keep him around. Um, uh, That gap is now filled with this team, but that doesn't mean that that gap is going to be filled strictly by Minnesota players. Now, does it have the potential that a good amount of these players could be local? Absolutely. We know the talent that comes out of the state, right? But between the the young players who are coming up through the academy and need sort of that extra age group to continue their development and the players who are either injured or not getting time at the MLS level, getting them time at a place like MNUFC 2, There's this other area that just basically consists of the scouting departments, the technical staff, what they see in other players who they think have potential that other teams may not be utilizing. This guy, maybe he's not ready for MLS, but we think he's being overlooked by other teams. Let's bring him in. Let's put him in too, 2 Let's see what he's got. Right. That's going to be that's going to be a test for the scouting department, especially since this has not existed in Minnesota before there are places like sporting KC, like New York, Red Bulls, list goes on LA galaxy, list goes on and on and on of organizations who have had sort of these teams in place already. And so they have that process in place. They sort of have their, their scouting arms in so many different markets and pockets of places where they can try to scout these players. This is new for Minnesota. So it'll be interesting to see, what kind of success, early success, they can have in bringing some of those players in and bringing the right players in for that particular role. Um, But you alluded to this, uh, Dom, that uh, the striker, I guess, depth chart continues to fill out with young talent. Today in the Super Draft was no exception. Uh, Tani Oluwasehi, forward from St. John's, 2019 Big East Offensive Player of the Year was selected 17th overall by the Loons in this draft. He missed much of the 2020 and 2021 seasons due to the pandemic and knee surgery. Um, evidently, there was a meniscus issue that he had to have surgery to get taken care of, so obviously something to keep an eye on. But suddenly, a ton of young potential at striker for the Loons, and MLS analyst David Goss called Abu, um, Louis Shea, his sleeper pick of the draft he said he's more pro ready than mason toy was when he came into minnesota and expects him to be a factor for the loons in 2022 that's a lot of talk and a lot of expectations for a 17th overall super draft pick but i mean if that comes anywhere close to fruition here in 2022 dom you're talking about a huge impact player at a, at a, at a place where you don't normally see instant impact. We've seen them have good super draft picks with Dane St. Clair, Hassani Dotson, Chase Gasper in the past who have made impact later in the first season. But this, this, this could be another, maybe even more successful example of that. If, if David Goss is right.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe others will put less weight in, in that quote, than than I think both of us are going to, but um, I, I, I've, followed quite closely what, what David Goss has to say about MLS pretty frequently and he tends to be very right um, and that's a, that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. it's a pretty uh, impressive uh, quote opinion when, uh, you know to be compared to Mason toy who uh, you know uh, season to season of course has ups and downs but uh, I stand firm by you know I' I brought this up a million times but I, I'm still, uh, not over. I think the fact that he doesn't play for Minnesota United anymore. Um, I mean, he's
1: sort of turned himself, in, in my opinion, down. I think Mason Toy is a top ten striker in MLS. Right
0: I think now. he certainly so he can would,
1: be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So for you know for 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 uh, for David Das to think that there's a more immediate potential or more ready potential uh, with 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 Tani is is yeah. I mean that that speaks volumes and. You know, I, I've I've had some friendly uh, uh, debates or arguments with people about what I'm about to say before. I I've been critical at times about Minnesota United's like international scouting and the, and our our season review we did a couple of weeks back with Jacob. I said some negative things about how I felt you that was that's it. okay. okay area. Call it whatever you want. Um, oopsie transfers. Uh, yeah, but out. one area that of this team that I've actually always thought was very well done, and, and oddly enough, it's a lot of people who think I'm wrong about the transfer thing tend to think I'm wrong about this, is I actually think we're very good at the Super Draft. I, I, I think Minnesota United, the whole time, has been very good at the Super Draft. I think Abu Dinladi was a really good draft. I know there's some people that, because of how things ended with him at the team, think that was a bad pick. <laughs> <bit. clears throat> Oh, sorry. <laughs> I I had a I had a, a a a brief Twitter debate with Jacob about this. Um, considering how amazing Abu Denladi's first season with the team was, I think it's worth it. I don't think the fact that it ended kind of poorly really changes that it was worth it. You had a guy that almost was the rookie of the year. Yeah. I mean, how how can you say that's a bad pick? Yeah. Um. And 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 then the more obvious. Pits are, are the Dotsons and the Toys and the Gaspers and the, and, um, the St. Clairs. Um, you know, there were, there were other players uh, this last uh, draft, the 2020, 2021 draft, uh, that, that were somewhat active with the team, maybe less so than those guys, but McMasters was around sometimes. You know, I, you know, I, I think overall this team is quite good at, at this aspect of the league. Um, so uh, the point of all that being, I actually put quite a bit of faith in their ability to identify talent, particularly in that first round, and uh, the fact that there are other sort of neutral parties agreeing, like, "Hey, this is actually a really good pick." To me, as a person who's not intimately familiar with this guy's college career, uh, you know that, that actually makes me quite hopeful that we're, we've got a guy here that can really have an impact on the team in the next two, three years. So. Uh yeah, who knows how much this year we see him with the first team. Do we see some MLS, Mets, Pro stuff? You know, who knows how that all plays out. But uh, long term, I'm optimistic that uh, that we got a, a talented guy here that uh, certainly can help with all the questions we have long term about our, our forward line situation.
1: Yeah, and, and that question is, the main question is, who's going to back up Adrian Hanoum on the main squad? Um, and what is Minnesota United going to do moving forward? Are they going to stick with what they've got and hope that one of the young guns can sort of separate themselves from the pack and sort of be that backup, or are they going to rely and try to get a, a more veteran, MLS veteran striker, international veteran striker to back up who knew? We will see. All right, Rob has been waiting patiently. Rob Chappell from Madison 365. Let's bring him in here. Rob, uh, I, I you, you waited a little bit longer than than I anticipated you would, so I apologize. <laughs> okay. I hope you enjoyed it's, our Minnesota United conversation while you were waiting. I did, uh, very much. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're good. good. We're good. Uh, Rob will be joining me a little bit later on as well to interview John Pascarella, the new assistant for Forward Madison, if that name sounds familiar. He was, of course, Minnesota United goalkeepers coach in 2018. So really excited about that conversation. But Rob, bringing you in here, because uh, Dom and I have sort of discussed at a high level some of the headlines, some of the offseason mm-hmm. headlines. For Madison. It's been a very busy offseason for the Mingos. Um, so we wanted to bring in somebody a little bit more more connected, a little bit more knowledgeable, somebody who gets more of a forward facing view mm-hmm. uh, with the team on some of this stuff. Um, so we're going to kind of start at the beginning here. Yeah. Um, ending a, a disappointing season i mean let, let's face it what the expectations we had coming into the season for the mingos were, were very very high i think the talent that they built on the roster those expectations were rightfully high mm-hmm. and you don't make the playoffs um coming make on, close to make the playoffs? <laughs> no you don't even, you it, end it, up not even coming close that that's correct like and nine, you were given yeah you were given every opportunity to do something oh yeah. like the, way the table was shaking out as well mm-hmm. um and then Soon after the season ends, uh, it's announced that, that Carl Craig has been relieved of his of his duties. What yep. was your initial reaction of the Carl Craig dismissal, um, considering <laughs> it was only his first year, but that Madison did mm-hmm. have such a boring season on the field?
2: It was um, I've evolved on this, and my I, I immediately quote tweeted the, the 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 announcement with like something like "WTF, guys." <laughs> I was yeah. taken aback I was surprised because we we had talked to him for the show and there was no inkling that this was coming no um, and so my first and, and I like Carl like Carl's a fun guy to talk to he knows the game yeah. um and and we didn't really know much behind the scenes so it felt like uh, panic you know it was my 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 ethos on all things is don't panic which comes from you may know if you're a nerd like I am, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The motto is "Don't panic," mm. uh, and it felt like a panic. It felt like you got to give a, a new guy a couple of, you know, a couple of seasons. Like the, the bones are there, the basics are there, the fundamentals are there, um, and you got to give him a chance. But what it turned out, but that it, it seems as though again, not a lot of insider information. Just little glimpses here and there of folks we can talk to. Uh, that, that he, he, he maybe wasn't quite the right fit that we thought he was, you know, that he was uh, mm. uh, had excelled at a, sort of a youth development level, right? And uh, uh, mm. in, But maybe not, wasn't quite equipped to, or maybe didn't, or had a different mindset than what today's 22-year-old, you know, up-and-coming Hotshot players need it, right? Not that not that the players need to be coddled or anything like that, but he was very much an old school. I'm the boss. This is how it's going to be, kind of thing. Which is, you know, there's, there's virtue to that. Um, but maybe he was he was like teaching things and and, and taking a real like, sort of a teacherly approach to the game that maybe some of these guys didn't need. Maybe they just needed a, somebody who could manage the game hmm. better than he did. You know, uh, and and there were some some clashes with some personalities. You see a, a fabulous talent uh like Michael Vang who ends up kind of getting sidelined like Jake Keegan who ends up getting sidelined and, and you kind of get a some some morale problems in the locker room and and maybe it's just not a tenable situation so uh again I, I don't think it's um I, I'm not going to say it's the right call or the wrong call I, like I said I have evolved on it um I do give them points for taking bold action you know you gotta you want to and, and doing, and, and they did right by Carl. They paid out his contract. So, um, my, like I said, my, my initial response was, This is a panic, don't do that. But I think I have, um, and it also helps that having talked with Matt Glazer, the new head coach, I'm very impressed with him. Um, mm-hmm. they have, and one thing that, um, became clear in talking with some players and some other staffers is that Carl. Whatever whatever Carl did, like there just wasn't enough investment in the technical staff, mm. right? Carl didn't have enough help basically, yeah. and so I'm very pleased and I'm very excited about the technical staff that has been announced so far. Uh, they are going all in on really top notch coaching, which I think is uh, indicating that not only is the club committed to putting a winning product on the field, but they're making the investments that it takes to do that.
1: We'll get into more of the the coaching staff and Matt Glazer specifically in a minute, but I do want to touch on a player that you Mm -hmm. mentioned, a player that people here in Minnesota are very interested to see what his future holds. And that is Michael Vang. Uh, 2020 season was otherworldly. The Vang train was, was off and running. uh, Arguably, I mean, maybe even inarguably the best player in the team. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, he gets time with the Chicago fire in their training camp in the preseason so you're talking about a, a kid who really is getting, is getting a look and is getting a real opportunity and platform to continue his career at a very high level. Yep. And then he gets back to Madison and it's just a stone cold stop to everything. Yeah. Um, did not see the field much. Uh, was not obviously the same quality player when he was on the field early in the season that we anticipated. Um, in our uh, end of season interview with Carl, he did mention that, that uh, Michael picked up an injury um mm-hmm. during that training camp with the fire that kind of did sort of uh, contribute to the the lack of form or lack of just pitch time that we saw from him. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the situation with Michael Vang? And, uh you know, is there any more to this, to this tale, I guess, that, that you know?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, he did kind of, uh, Carl also kind of implied that Michael didn't work hard enough in in training. Something, I and I I don't know whether how how much to believe that or not. Um, but uh, we do know that that Michael got got subbed into a friendly and then subbed off, which is mm. never going to ingratiate yourself to the coach. You know, that was never going to make you real want to fight for that coach if <laughs> when you're treated like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think you know, every player, many players, have had an off season. It's also possible that Michael wasn't ever as terrifically talented as we thought, because the, 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 the level of, we've, we talked about this, that the level of play in the league has took a big leap forward in 2021 mm-hmm. in the, 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 the level of talent on the field for both Madison and in the league did take a step, step forward in 2021 and 2020 was just such a weird year that everything was off. So it's possible that the, the league caught up with him, you know, uh, it's also possible that he just had a different style. He was his style was not quite as um, fast-paced as Carl wanted to play. Right, he was more of a finesse guy. He's a he's a hold the ball, look up, um, and and find find space that way kind of guy, which maybe didn't fit didn't quite fit the way Carl wanted to play. So there's a lot of different factors that it could have been. I I I am sure. That he, Michael will land somewhere this season, and we'll probably have a great year in 2022. He's young; he's what he's 22 years old, yeah. something like that. Uh, so he's got a lot of time ahead of him. I think he'll look back at this as uh, one off
0: year, and that'll be okay. I hope. That's the feeling I, might, you know, not to. Mm-hmm. We're all supposed to be neutral, but I, I I've, <laughs> you know, talked to Michael many times for interviews for articles over the years. Um, I talked to him in 2020 before the pandemic started. Uh, before uh, he had technically play for for Madison for uh, mm-hmm. for an article, and um, yeah, I, I, my 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 feeling is is I mean exactly as you said, and it doesn't take a genius to put that this together. But is that he'll probably have uh, plenty plenty of good times in the, in the next couple of years, but mm-hmm. maybe uh, this year, for as much negatives may have come with it, perhaps yeah. is will also be a, a useful lesson for. Sure. For, for him as how to navigate the professional world, which is probably a factor for, you know, relationships that were, how various relationships went as some of these guys were brand new to even being professional yeah, and uh, weren't, weren't veterans in the politics of the game, so to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think there's plenty of positive ahead though, from a, from a, a Minnesota native player, you know, point of view, I think there's plenty for people to to look forward to with him.
1: All right, so let's talk about Matt Glazer. You mentioned him earlier. Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, new head coach, obviously spent some time in, in MLS and on RSL staff, and has uh, you know coaching experience in USL Championship as well. This is his first crack at a head coaching role, though, with yep. Ford Madison, um, former goalkeeper. Um, you you mentioned your your initial impressions of Matt. What were your initial impressions <laughs> of the the signing itself of the announcement? and did did your conversation with matt sort of um, alter or or evolve the, those those initial impressions at all similar to maybe how you felt about the carl Craig dismissal
2: yeah well the uh talking with some folks around the around the club uh it, the the feeling was that the the perfect new coach given that what we talked about what i mentioned about the the ability to re- relate to this kind of player uh the, the kind of player that is making their way into the game through usl league 1 um, the perfect candidate to to take over as as the manager of this club would be a USL Championship assistant coach, mm-hmm. and that's who we got. So <laughs> that, from that yeah. from that standpoint, it made perfect sense. Um, and I, I knew very little about him uh, before, but but in looking into him, you see that he's a guy who has been a sort of a lower level player um, and, and did you know had a successful career as a lower level player uh, transitioned pretty kind of naturally into coaching Um, Mm -hmm. sort of like the Ryan Coulter model from, from Fort Madison 2019, where he he was a player coach uh, in Wilmington. And, um, and then, and then just sort of stepped into that coaching role. And, And I got the sense talking to him that, that this is an opportunity he's been waiting for. That he's yeah. been thinking about, that he's been planning for, you know, and, and, you, and you can kind of tell that he's been these last few years, he's like, okay, when I get to be the head coach, this is how I'm going to do it. And he was ready. Uh, he also talks a lot about grit, which is uh, sort of an amorphous term, but it's something that the supporters told management that they wanted, that there's that's one thing that was lacking, that, that, that the supporters felt that the 2021 squad lacked grit. Which led to some of the late, you know, concessions of goals and, you know, inability to to hold leads and stuff like that. So again, that's a very difficult thing to define. But when I asked him, you know, what does grit look like? I think you know he had a pretty good answer. That it, it just yeah. it's um it's desire, it's athleticism, it's um you know, uh, it's, a, it's a it's a sort of I know it when I see it kind of quality. And that's um and and he. Matt seems to really value that and really know how know what it means and, and be able to identify it. So I'm, I'm excited about him. I I'm, I'm hoping that he um, can put something together and um, and I'm really excited about this coaching staff he's put together. You mentioned um, John Pasquarella, which I, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm a soccer nerd, but I'm not the biggest soccer nerd that I know every assistant coach in every team, but I had heard of John Pasquarella. So when I, when they, when I they announced yeah. that I was like, Oh wow, that's a guy I've heard of. And he's going he's yep. great. He's, he's been around forever. I mean to get that yeah. level of player who's been in this game since you know he's he's playing professionally pre MLS.
1: Well, and he's and Rob, you forever. mentioned USL Championship assistant coach. This guy was USL Championship head coach right. last
3: year, right?
1: So,
2: right, which is fantastic. And then um, and then you know Neil Laverty's coming back, which everybody loves Neil, the most yellow carded assistant coach in the league. Uh, <laughs> love to see that. Talk about grit. He's the he's the going to curse at the refs for you. Yeah. Uh, and then you know Keith Timeyer who has had a terrific run with, um, with the University of Wisconsin, uh, with the Badgers, and, and bringing on him, not only just bringing Keith Timeyer, who's a you know, terrific coach, but to bring him in as the Director of Soccer Operations and Development, which is a position that we didn't even have last year. Yeah. You know, so, um, so they're, they're not only bringing in the big names, but they're um, creating roles that this club didn't have before, which, which seems to me like Connor and Vern and the upper management and the front office was like, okay, we're going to build this. We're going to build a proper technical staff and we're going to make yeah. this thing work, which I'm very excited about.
1: Rob, are there other um, teams, clubs, organizations at the League One level that are building out like a technical staff in a similar way with sort of these devo- more devoted positions like you would see in an MLS or a, a higher, higher level? Do you know?
2: I don't know. I'm, I know – I'm trying to think. Um, th- there haven't been a lot of that I'm aware of uh, coaching turnover in the league. I mean, you have two, uh, you have three. Well, you have two brand new clubs coming in, and then you have Charlotte Independence joining also. Um, but I, I think most of the staffs. I mean, they're smaller staffs than MLS, obviously, and yeah. um, and, it, but I, I'm not sure of anybody who's got a specifically a director of soccer operations they probably do and I'm yeah. just not aware but I think it's um it's a good sign that Madison is is going that direction.
1: Yeah, going back to what you said on the on the grit thing, Rob. I mean, those late conceded goals cost for Madison a playoff spot oh, and sure. then some. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was it was a it was a common thread. We 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 t- he he Carl was was very um, obviously um he he admitted it. He he knew it. He he was very open to talk about it. Yeah. Um so that was the thing when I looked at it, is like that needs to change specifically. And it's good to know mm-hmm. that 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 was sort of an emphasis in bringing in a new coach who's going to maybe um, facilitate a better. I don't know if mental toughness is the right word or grits even the right word, but just you know at the end of matches finding a way to see it through even if it's yeah. the 110th minute or something stupid <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, literally happened. Um, yeah, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, we also did get a our first big player signing. We've had a few re-signings: uh, Christian Rivas, yep. Justin Foucault. But first big player signing and Senegalese mm-hmm. striker Abdu Mbake Tiam uh, scored forty-six goals during his collegiate career at UConn. Spent the last two <laughs> yep. seasons with Lew City FC in the USL Championship. Uh, clinical finishing, Rob, was was a, a, an issue last season. Getting a oh. goal scoring position was not. Yes. Finishing. The, the, yep. Was, finishing was um, such, yeah.
2: a, uh, such a such a problem last year. We scored the second lowest goals in the league. Mm. Um, only thirty one goals we scored in how many matches? Uh, so yeah, we needed that number nine um, striker. Uh, I think Abdul Baki Jam is could be the right kind of guy. I'm very excited about him because um, yeah. you mentioned you look, you need the kind of guy who can not only score goals, but who is like right for this level. Uh, and obviously to have such a terrific collegiate career, really, you know, almost dominant uh, in that, in that conference. Um, but then kind of gets unlucky and gets stuck behind, you know, uh, what's his name? Lancaster at Lou city who was one of the leading scorers in the championship and doesn't seal the field a lot, um, but spends three years training with, one of the best clubs in the championship, yep. right? Uh, so he's coming in uh, with, uh, I, I would assume, I haven't spoken with him. I, I, I hope to very soon, uh, but, it, you know, he's going to be hungry. He's going to be uh, exciting to watch, I think. Now, I will say Mason Toy started for Madison in 2019 and never scored a goal and then came to Minnesota and was like on fire <laughs> for the rest of that season. <laughs> so you got to have a midfield behind him that can serve him well. Uh, and if we can put that together, uh, I think he can be very exciting. and um, and also I'll mention he's twenty nine years old, which is older than you'd expect for a guy with only with only three years of experience, um, which means he was coming out of college at like twenty five or twenty six. So which is which is not to say he's old, but he's he's probably a little bit more mature and experienced and maybe could bring in some leadership as well that that will definitely you know be beneficial, I think.
1: Rob, I'm gonna, I have one final question, and I, I think it's a fair question. Uh, there might be some people listening who don't think it's a fair question. Um, <laughs> so Ford Madison has sort of branded themselves as like the cool club of lower yeah. league soccer. Right? Mm-hmm. Is is this sort of the 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 point where they become more than that? Right? Is this sort of that that okay? Yeah, we got the cool kids. we have the awesome branding, we have the supporters culture, we have the stadium. But what's been missing is the on-field product, Mm -hmm. and we've talked on on the Talking Flood podcast, Rob. Like you can have all the bells and whistles, but if you're not delivering on the field, at some point people are going to tune out. Right? Is is this sort of? I don't know if it's an if the awakening is the right word because they're only three years in. But is this is this sort of the point where you like Ford Madison is sort of maybe taking that more? You know. That that next step in terms of really becoming the on-field product that matches the the marketing. Mm-hmm. I guess that's, I don't know, I can that's certainly
2: that. no. That I get what you're saying exactly. That that that's definitely the vibe I'm getting from the front office and from this, especially the coaching hires. That's the vibe I'm getting. That there that the thing that you have to understand too that for Madison, uh, other than when Peter Wilt you know started the club, nobody else in the front office had any football experience, right? They're mostly where the Madison Mallards, the baseball club. Uh, so obviously you got tons of experience and tons of success in minor league sports, but not soccer, which is its own thing, right? So you get Peter Bilt come in, get things underway and then he moves on down to Chicago House and he leaves it in the hands of Connor and Vern, uh, who are really smart guys who have done a really good job with the Mallards and, and are now evolving into understanding the way soccer works, I think, a little bit more. Uh, so I think what they've recognized is yes, this has to be the year when we take the step up on the field that we've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of success on all, in, in creating a brand. Um, but now we got to think about, okay, actually winning some games and with some hard work. Um, and, and I think the first big step in that has been the, the, the coaching staff, like I mentioned. Um, now the next question then is the investment in the, on the player side. And you see, um, they managed to bring back some players that are very exciting that I didn't, I wasn't sure we'd be able to retain, frankly, uh, Christian Enriquez. Uh, Derek Ephart is the one that, you know, was really seemed poised. Like he had a, a good enough season last year that he could have gone back up to the championship and yeah. and they got him to stay, which is really exciting. Um, Justin Succo is another one. Uh, who could have taken the next step up. And Phil Brino, frankly, uh, you know, the goalkeeper uh, is looking really great. And then Cyrus Ratt, of course, on the on the left back there. And we we also had two players who did move up to the championship, Yeah, which we uh, learned about Jiro Barriga toyama the right back, uh, who is so dynamic and exciting, is going to go um, now play for Monterey Bay, the expansion side in the championship. And then we just learned this week that Aaron Malloy, uh, got bought out of his second year of his contract and is going to Memphis 901, which is great for him and sucks for us. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and then you get a guy like Bakisham, who is a really dynamic striker and, and uh, he, he, that signals to me that the front office is serious about trying to win, which is, you know, good, great to see and, and, and makes me optimistic and hopeful. Mm-hmm. And excited to watch what, what they come up with now we got a few holes to fill yet right yeah that they may have already filled that, that it's not announced yet but you know with Malloy's departure the immediate question and what I and is is does Eric Leonard come back
1: yeah because he That's uh, be uh he,
2: he was he did play that number six role uh, before Aaron Malloy took it and then Eric moved back into a more a defensive role uh Eric Leonard is is not the same player as Aaron Malloy. He's a much more defensive minded number six. He's not going to be you know up in the attack as much, but he's a very solid number six. And if he can come back, um, you know that I think that is helpful. Um, we don't know anything about any defenders other than Cyrus Rad. So yeah. We don't know about Connor Tobin. We don't know about Josiah Trimingham. We don't know about uh, Gustavo Fernandez. Um, I would imagine they're putting those places in place and just haven't announced them yet, but we'll also need to see, you know, one or maybe one or two more, maybe Orion Ryan Sirikowski comes back. I know they, they were really interested in bringing him back. I don't know if he's going to come back or not, um, but one or two more scoring threats, another midfielder or two or three and, um, and a second goalkeeper. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what kind of investments they're willing to make and how they're able to make the case for players to come here uh, for a team that wasn't successful last year. You know, it's a, how do you make that pitch? You know, if you're Matt Glazer, how do you make a pitch to for a really, really dynamic player to to come play for Madison? Um, But I think they're going to try to do it.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, if the, if the step up in quality says anything from 20 to 21, 21 to 22 could be a whole different ball game too. And Madison may have to be even much better to compete for a playoff spot in 2022
3: yep
2: for sure for sure and and and, uh, yeah it's gonna be fun to watch though
1: yeah fun to watch and hopefully rob and i's talking flock podcast will be fun to listen to for another season we'll uh we'll have some bonus episodes yeah we'll have some bonus episodes before the season starts uh one coming up here in a couple weeks and maybe one more before we actually get started in april but again talking flock myself and rob chapel during the season talking all things forward madison just look up talking flock wherever you get your podcasts uh, Rob is sticking around as we will interview with John Pasquarella, uh, new assistant for forward Madison uh, in just a few minutes, Rob. Uh, talk to you here in a few. Thanks, Mike. All right, Dom, before we get into the interview though, I want you to stick around here with me for this. We got to shout out some good friends of ours over at stimulus athletic. Um, this is a really exciting time for stimulus athletic because um, if you look at their social media, Every week, they seem to be popping up with a new team store. What does that mean? Well, it means basically Stimulus is going to help teams, clubs, organizations put out merchandise that people can buy and support said club, team, or organization. Um, Stimulus makes the jerseys, The there's quarter zips, there's shorts, there's backpacks, there's so many different things. So if you are a club looking to outfit your team with game gear and apparel or you're an organization soccer related club um or excuse me soccer related organization that's looking to maybe just find a way to to help support yourself and to do it in a way that's uh that's gonna you know really excite the people in your community and in your base stimulus athletic is the way to do it so go to stimulus athletic.com there's a little get started button when you go there and if you have a design you can uh, you know you can just upload it or give it to them and they can put it on one of their quality products. But if you need a design, if you're not a designer, if you don't have a designer, you're kind of starting from scratch. That is okay, because Jason and the team at Stimulus have a have a great design team there on site in their in their uh, in their office there. Um, and they do great work. They helped us with the 10K kit two summers back. That was awesome. Um, So they can help you as well. So again, go to StimulusAthletic.com, click that Get Started button. Make sure you let me know that Jeremy and Dom from 10,000 Pitches sent you. If you want some examples of what Stimulus Athletic can do and provide, I don't know, look at a team like uh, Minneapolis City. Uh, Look at a team like Tulsa Athletic. Look at the Anguilla National Team. Look at the American Outlaws, the great merch that they put out. I mean, they're the American Outlaws jerseys are better than the U.S. Men's National Team jerseys. I'm just going to say that. Like, the U.S. Men's National Team should just use the American Outlaws jerseys because they are fantastic. Um, and they're Stimulus Athletic provided, of course. So go to StimulusAthletic.com, click that Get Started button. Make sure you let them know that Jeremy and Dom from 10,000 Pitches say yeah. All right, it is now my pleasure to welcome in the newest, well, I guess as of the time of recording, not the newest coach added to the Ford Madison uh technical staff but former minnesota united goalkeepers coach most recently head coach of the okc energy in the usl championship and now yes he joins mac laser staff at Ford madison for 2022 it's mr john pascarella john how you doing tonight i'm doing great jeremy how are you i'm good i'm good thank you so much for jumping on the show uh rob you're here with us too sticking around for i the sure interview. am yep yeah. uh, making the switch over to the other podcast this week we appreciate you uh, <laughs> sticking around yeah. um so, John, let me ask you just right up front here, how does it feel to officially be uh, part of Forward Madison and officially sort of be a, be a mingo?
3: Extremely excited about it. I've been watching yeah. it from a distance, um, actually not too far a distance because I was with Minnesota United uh, mm-hmm. in the first year that uh, Forward Madison came into being, and there was a lot of coordination between the technical staffs at that time. Uh, and ever since then have been you know kind of watching uh, from the background mm-hmm. and, and admiring what's going on there.
1: Um, expand on that a little bit getting to know forward Madison as a member of Minnesota United. I mean, did, did it ever, the thought pop into your head at the, at the time? I mean, obviously you're in with an MLS coaching staff at the time. So, uh, but you know, the thing like, Oh, that's, that's, a, that's something, something cool is brewing in Madison. That might be cool to you know be part of. Uh, Do you ever get those impressions, those feelings?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, yeah. I talked to our staff at the time, Um, talked to Adrian Heath and talked to Manny Lagos and and Amos McGee about an opportunity there when it first started. But the staffs, Mm. the technical staffs and and the ownership group were separated enough that they had their own ideas and their own direction Mm. that they wanted to go. But they leaned on us for some direction. They leaned on us for some technical expertise. But the thought was always in the back of my mind that that would be an interesting place to go. The connection would have been very strong and not very far from Minneapolis, to be fair.
2: Uh, you uh, you said in the in the release, you, you have crossed paths a few times with Matt Glazer and obviously the you know, this professional soccer world is a small world. But can you tell us what do you know of him and, and what do you think of, of uh, him as a, as, a, as a head coach and uh, as his first gig as a head coach um, and, and how you're going to be able to support that?
3: I think Matt's a very bright coach. I think he's a very honest person. Um, All the dialogue I've ever had with him in the past, and and we've had a lot of them because we've bumped into each other on the road Mm -hmm. a number of times. And when I say a number of times, I'm not talking about a handful. I'm talking about (laughs) 20, 30 times where you're at the same combine events, you're at the same clinics, you're at the same uh, college games where you get a chance to talk about players and talk about philosophy and talk about methodology and the things you like in the game and the things you don't, the people you like in the game and the people you don't. Um, And and we had a lot of of similar things that happened in our background, obviously both being goalkeepers, both having uh, been stuck a little bit in that pigeonhole and and getting people to respect your knowledge of the game outside of of that one uh, particular piece. So there's a lot of great things about Matt and he brings some great qualities to the organization. I'm really looking forward to working with him this year.
2: You mentioned you're both goalkeepers. How much pressure does that put on Phil now? Does he have to get 30 clean sheets? <laughs>
3: hopefully, it's less on him in, in many ways. You know, hopefully, he knows that he's got people that, that can relate to what he's going through and that we can guide him uh, and help him continue to grow and to try to get to the next step in, in his progression and in his professional development.
2: What, what kind of film? I talked a little bit about Phil, but have you looked at been able to have a chance to look at the tape of, of Phil, but also some of the other uh, players we know are coming back. Uh, uh, Christian Enriquez, Justin Stucco, Derek Gephardt. Just looking at the tape of those guys, what are your impressions?
3: This week I, foc- I focused mainly on Phil um, and some other pieces that we'd like to add to the team. I haven't really mm-hmm. looked much at the guys that are already coming back, which is probably something I'm going to need to do over the next mm-hmm. week to 10 days. Um, but it's more about the future and looking forward as to who we're going to add. Phil's a goalkeeper that I like. I think he needs to be pushed. I think it's important for every goalkeeper, regardless of organization or club, to have somebody that's breathing down their neck. So I think that's something that you can expect. He can expect uh, from the club to have that competition from within. Uh, But he looks like a guy that's a decent leader. He looks like he's very explosive as a goalkeeper. And I like the things that I've seen on video so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've sung his uh, praises on our – Ford Madison podcast, you know, basically all season last year. Um, mm-hmm. To me, he was one of the breakout breakout players of the 2021 season for Ford Madison. So really excited to see what he can do, obviously with, with two former goalkeepers on the staff now, um, see if you guys can help, you know, just help, you know, continue that, that journey that he's on for Phil. Cause I think it's a, it's a promising one for sure. Um, you just recently were the head coach of the OKC energy in USL championship um, did you feel like that was sort of your opportunity to sort of prove that you're not? You mentioned kind of being pigeonholed sometimes as like a former goalkeeper, goalkeeper's coach. Um, did you take on that head coaching challenge as sort of an opportunity to prove that, that you're more than just a goalkeeper's coach, that you can really kind of relate to and, and manage you know, the, the entirety of the field, not just the goalkeeping side?
3: Well, it's something that I, that I wanted to prove, yes. I think people would argue as to whether I did it or not, <laughs> um, simply based on our record. I think the um, the mitigating circumstances with the short initial season and then only yeah. seven games into that second season made it difficult. There were extenuating circumstances, but I think there's a lot of good things that came out of it for me and my own personal development, as well as for the club in Oklahoma City. So is it something I was looking to do? Yes. Is it something I'd like to do in the future again, possibly? Yes, if the right situation presents itself. Um, is it something that you're always trying to challenge yourself and to prove that you're good enough to do those kind of things? Absolutely. I want to prove I'm a good enough leader. I want to prove I'm a good enough coach. But that goes with every position I've ever held, whether it was a conditioning coach, a goalkeeping coach, an assistant coach, a head coach. It didn't matter. You're always trying to prove that you're good enough to be there. And and that's a big deal for me. I always want to leave a place a little bit better than I found it, and I feel like I've done that, even in Oklahoma City. You've been around exactly. this game a
2: long time, obviously. You played – Professionally pre MLS, you were played in the, you know, for the Galaxy in that first MLS season. And then you've, you know, been a part of it as the, the professional game in this country has really transformed and grown. Uh, having lived through all that, what is it right now that excites you about USL, particularly about the lower levels? And, and, and why do you still love being involved at this level?
3: That's a great question, Rob. And, and, and I'll tell you, it actually goes beyond that. It goes pre MLS, it goes back to mm-hmm. the old NASL. Yeah. I'm a, listen, I'm 55 years old. So I, I was born in the sixties. Um, I grew up with the old NASL watching the New York Cosmos because I was a New Jersey kid. That was my team. The, the New York mm-hmm. Cosmos and the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Fury. And that left us when I was a sophomore in college, that league folded. I think it mm-hmm. was, must've been 85, maybe 86 that it yep. folded. Yep. And it left a hole in American soccer. In fact, I remember wondering in my college dorm, well, what the hell am I going to do now? (laughs) One of the reasons why I went to college was to go and play professional soccer somewhere. And that ended up having to be in Peru after I graduated Mm -hmm. because MLS didn't exist yet. And the USL was in its infantile stage. It was, it was an alphabet soup league back then. It was a league on one side, WSL on the other coast. Then it became the USISL, then the A league, then the USL and all these different leagues that eventually solidified And then the World Cup obviously helped, where Mm -hmm. we now have Major League Soccer. Mm -hmm. And so there was a small generational window of kids that really didn't have anything like we had to look up to. We didn't Mm -hmm. have, or or they didn't have, the Canalias, the Beckenbauer's, the Nashkins, the Pele's, the George bests all those players to say, oh my God, look at the way the game can be played. Look at the Mm -hmm. influence of the fans. All of those things was missing for a generation. And now it's back. Mm-hmm. And as an adult now, having gone through that as a kid, I never want to see that again. So for me, that's why it's so important. As, as I said earlier, you try to leave wherever you've been a little bit better than you found it. And that's really why. It's because for a time, and some people don't realize this, my kids certainly don't. And three out of the four of them play soccer. They don't even realize that there was a time where there was no professional game in this country. Mm-hmm. And right. so it's important for me to lose <clears> least- <throat> behind that's better than what it was years ago and and I think that's what the USL is doing I think that's what MLS is doing I think what that what this generation of pioneers is doing is making sure that it's left memories are left impressions are left for kids to be able to try to follow and those kids become passionate about the game being able to see it played in the USL environment and MLS environment
1: your your evolution from a player to, uh, you know, a coach in MLS and now you're sort of uh, your, your influence is now in some of the lower levels of soccer. It's sort of kind of followed the evolution of, of American soccer itself. Um, as you've sort of seen things grow, I mean, you obviously were in that inaugural season in MLS uh, for the summer there. Um, was there the feeling that in the locker rooms that like, OK, yes, this is something that we think has the potential to be you know, something bigger than what there has been, or was there sort of a pessimistic feeling of, of, ah, uh, this is probably just going to be one of those other, <laughs> one of those other alphabet soup leagues, as you mentioned. No, it's, it's interesting. You asked that. I had a cup of coffee in the league.
3: I was there in 96 from beginning to end. My contract yeah. started at the end of the spring because compost got called into, I think he got called into the Olympics Yep. And I had been training with the team because they need, needed an extra, um, duck in the shooting gallery, basically. And Octavio <laughs> Zambrano was the assistant coach and he and I had known each other through the US ISL. So he brought me in. Eventually I signed and ended up staying all the way through the final, which was that crazy final that was played at Foxborough mm-hmm. old Foxborough stadium in that nor'easter that right? yep. The game should have never been played, um, in a field that was really underwater. Um, uh, but it was, it was just an interesting time in the game. And it was you know, it was one of those things where you could feel in the locker room that something magical was happening. And I say that because when we played our opening game, which was against the Metro Stars, and it was really cool because Peter Vermees was on the team, Tony Miola was on the team, it was a group of Jersey guys that you kind of knew from, from years before. Yeah. They had anticipated about 20,000 people <laughs> at the Rose Bowl. And they had covered the rest of the stadium with these, they look like car covers, but they're gigantic, enormous covers that go over these these sections of the seats. And as the game was going on, they were literally tearing these things off of the seats to let more fans in. And in a game they initially anticipated 20,000, they got over 50,000 people for the game. We played two games in there that were double headers with the national team where the Rose Bowl was packed. There was over 100,000 people in the stadium. Now, granted, part of it was because it were double headers, one against Honduras and the other was against Mexico. But you could tell something was going on. There had been something that was lit under the country's ass (laughs) regarding the soccer Uh that, that that was on the heels of the World Cup and the players could feel it. Guys were coming back, they were wanting to play again here in this country, and you could feel that momentum building. And as I said, I only had a cup of coffee in the league, but to have been a part of that group and to get to know some of those guys and to still be close to in terms of professional colleagues with a lot of those guys today, it, it, it's unbelievable um, how much it's caught on and, and, and what it's done for the country soccer-wise. <laughs>
2: I can remember West being West. in a sophomore in college uh, talking to – I went to a little state school here in Wisconsin, and, and, and this was about 90, 93, 94, and saying someday people are going to watch soccer all day on a Saturday in this country. Someday I'm going to live to see that day. And here we are. And yeah. now we're watching the USL games on ESPN Plus all, all Saturday. Yeah. Um, uh, getting back to your, your new gig here, what have your uh, – you, you were obviously familiar with Madison, you with know, Ford Madison, the club, but what have your impressions been of, uh, of the club as it sits now uh, and uh, as well as the, the city, the community, the, the supporters groups, all that stuff that they, now you have to think about a little bit more uh, intentionally? What are your impressions?
3: Listen, I think, I think the, the previous staffs that have been here, Daryl Shore who was there, Carl Craig who was there, mm-hmm. have built a very good thing. I think that's that's obvious by the fan base that you see there. So they obviously played an attractive type of soccer. I think the city wants, I think the city deserves, I think they demand uh, a winning brand, which is, which is great because that kind of pressure um, and, and that kind of expectation is what we live for. I think the reason why we want the game to succeed at the professional level is for those reasons. You want high expectations and we want to meet those. So it's it doesn't seem to take a lot to get the fans out to the stadium. We just need to deliver on the pitch a product that's exciting to watch and that can consistently win and qualify for the playoffs. And as we do that and we develop the mentality of the team, the culture of the team, that we make a deep <clears throat> run into the playoffs and eventually can win championships for the city of Madison.
2: I, I asked uh, Matt this too. What was the um, – uh, you, you mentioned that you're looking – you're kind of right now evaluating players that you might want to bring in. Uh, what kind of player are you looking for? Uh, I know Matt, Matt talked about grit is one where he used quite a bit. Um, yeah. what, what kind of guys do you think this club needs to, to succeed?
3: I think grit's a great word. Resiliency might be, a, might be another one. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that is, and you can see this in the USL level, you can see this still at the MLS level. Our game here in this country is still a very transitional game. Mm-hmm. And so because it's played in transition, you cannot have those moments where you're just sitting there thinking, shit, I just gave the ball away. I've got to... It, it's, it's <laughs> but you've got to react and do something about it and not only react to it, but you've got to be prepared for it yep. knowing that it's going to happen. So we're trying to build a team that has that resiliency in it. We're trying to build a team that has those transitional qualities, that has that type of athleticism and that has that type of bite and mentality to play in that way and not to be... Not to play at a pedestrian speed, not to play in a manner where they're luxury players and they're going to play an attack, but they're not going to want to defend. We're going to need guys on both sides of the ball to, to be demanding of, of what we want to try and get done.
1: You, you hopefully mentioned. Like
3: that. Hopefully that's something that they're going to they're going to take to.
1: Yeah. And I think they will. I think they will. I think, uh, you know, that's something that they've seen glimpses of in the first few years. Again, it's just, as you mentioned, the consistency of, of putting, uh, you know, consistent winning products on the field. It's been an exciting product. It's a matter of making it a winning product. Um, you sort of alluded to this earlier when we talked about your time with OKC and sort of proving yourself as a, as a well-rounded coach outside of just sort of the goalkeeping bubble. Um, what is exactly your your role going to be in Madison as in a, an assistant? Because you're listed as an assistant coach. You're not necessarily listed as a goalkeeper's coach. Does that mean you're going to kind of have your hands in a little bit of, of everything on the field in terms of defense, midfield attack as well? Yeah, according to Matt, that's the case.
3: When he, When he first contacted me about it to gauge my interest in it, He said, listen, you've been a goalkeeper coach. You've been a conditioning coach. We need a guy that can help us with the periodization. We need a guy that can help us with the goalkeeping. But none of us have been a head coach either. So you can bring us some experience in that area as well. You've done some scouting at the MLS level. You had to build your roster in OKC. So you have an idea of all these pieces. And with any USL staff, I don't care what division you're talking about or what club you're talking about, every coach wears multiple hats. And his big question was, was I willing to do that? And and Mm -hmm. the answer was absolutely yes. I love being involved in all those pieces. You guys have probably figured out already after 15 minutes and you'll get to see even more. I'm fairly hyper and energetic. (laughs) And so I need to be involved in a lot of different things as it's going along. I feel like if I'm only involved in one thing, it becomes a little monotonous and boring. So there's plenty to be done. Um, there's a lot of areas where the club needs to grow, and I will help in all of those areas needed.
1: All right. Uh, last question here from me for you, John. I don't know if you have any more, Rob, but you know, we kind of see – I mean, this is a very, very um, well-known sort of marquee coaching staff that is being built at, at the USL League One level. There's a lot of, of really notable names, yours included. Um, what sort of was the, the recruiting pitch for you to join the staff? If there was anything, is there sort of a feeling that like, Hey, we're sort of going all in on this and we are, we're committed to, you know, putting a championship product out there. And you're sort of one of the pieces that we feel like will best fit that model. Sort of what were you told and sort of what was that conversation like to bring you, bring you into Madison?
3: It, It was really about a collaborative effort it was about getting as many good soccer minds together as we could to help guide the club forward. And that's, what was so appealing to me was that it, you know, again, I think it comes back to my upbringing, but I like working with people. Um, Mm. I like engaging with people. I like getting hold of different projects and and getting them to work and, and, trying to overcome obstacles and figure out how to get something to succeed. I think they feel like the club has underachieved a little bit in the first few years and that's also something that really drew me to the project. As I said, I want to leave every place I've been better than I found it. And so this is another great opportunity to take it up a level. It already has a great following. It has a great fan base. It's got a traditional stadium. Can we now make it a consistent winner in USL? And that's the question we'll have to answer this year and next and over the next few years. What could that, you mean, talk about- that was the draw.
2: You, you you talk about yourself being energetic and, and uh I don't know about you, Jeremy, but I'm ready to go play right now. Let's go.
1: <laughs> Put a brick wall in front of me. I'm ready to run I'm hitting it. It. There <laughs> you go. There you go. It, it's uh, good to can
3: see you not lost
2: know. that quality. No, no, yeah, you you'll you'll definitely see me around uh, Bree Stevens uh field and and um and we'll we'll definitely get you on the other podcast as well.
3: I'm looking forward to it. Rob, it's great talking to you, Jerry. Th- Jeremy, thank you
1: for the time absolutely Appreciate john pascarella the newest assistant coach for ford madison fc looking forward to see what he and the coaching staff and the team bring on the field in 2022 john we'll talk to you soon thank you so much all right guys thank you